Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. I'm Mark Yacono, your host, and this podcast is presented by Major Lindsay in Africa, the world's leader in legal recruiting and advisory services. I have an amazing guest today, Chelsea Castro, who describes herself as a former lawyer and high achiever and who is now a practicing psychotherapist and works extensively with lawyers on all types of issues. Chelsea, welcome first. Thank you. And would you um, do a much better job than I just did telling our listeners more about yourself? Sure. Uh, well, it's great to be here, Mark. I'm, I'm always glad to work with you. Thank you. Uh, well, in a nutshell, I was a lawyer like most of us and kind of didn't see myself happy in the career for the long term. After a lot of soul searching, I realized that I was ready to to change careers. And, you know, that's not the needed path for everybody. It was just the path for me. And that's what drew me into neuroscience and psychology as a whole. So I went back to school and got my clinical degree. And I realized while I was getting my clinical degree that I didn't want to leave the legal profession as a whole. So what I found as a way to serve and use my new skills and not leave the legal profession was to hone my the cultivation of my skill development around the issues that lawyers um, other, and other high achievers, such as people in tech and banking, need in order to live, work, and feel better. So that's that's basically how I ended up doing what I do now. And as you said, I'm a psychotherapist. I also do a lot of CLE trainings for law firms and tech companies across the country and actually internationally as well. And it's through that work that I also realized that uh, there are many groups of lawyers out there who are looking for additional, more anchored ways to support their well-being efforts because it's easy to get lost in like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And so that's how I started. Um, I have a group pro coaching program specifically for lawyers and high achievers that helps find them helps them find some grounding and structure and support in executing these kinds of things in their own time. Because change is hard. Change is really hard, especially when uh, your, your profession is quite demanding. Yeah, and you know, you know, there's an old saying, well, it's old because I said it's old. Um, <laughs> but a clinical psychologist I had on early in my podcast made the comment that going to the first two or three therapy sessions is easy. It's getting them to stay for the for the ones that come after that where the hard work begins. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, and and I know from my own experience in therapy that you really have to apply effort. Um, mm -hmm. You don't just sit on a couch and put your hand on your forehead and oh, <laughs> um, oh, it's a, it's a it's a lot of reflection and self work. Can you mm -hmm. give us um, at least at the context for your client base? What are some of the most prevalent issues you see among these lawyers? And I, I think you have a phrase on your website of functional high achievers. Mm -hmm. You're here on the surface to have everything together, but underneath there's perhaps a cauldron of things that maybe um, trouble them. Oh yes, absolutely. I'd say that's pretty much all of my clientele. Uh, on paper, they are successful professionally, they appear to have fine social lives. They appear to be healthy. But when we go beyond that, the life beyond the resume, it's, a, it's something else. And what I often see there 
is on the surface, there's often very clearly burnout. Um, in some sense, in some cases, a loss of connection with their legal work. And so even though that they look like they're doing things really well on paper, internally, they don't have the same connection to the purpose, to the intention, the motivation to do the work. And if we go a little further, we often that's where we often start seeing manifestations of anxiety and then depression and sometimes substance abuse. I'd say those are the, if we're going by diagnoses, those are the top three that I see. Um, and essentially the, that's a result of not employing a healthy balance of coping mechanisms, both in the professional setting and in the uh, personal setting. Because oftentimes I gotta tell you, what I've seen in the legal profession and in this new context of well-being is that it gets siloed. Oftentimes when people are talking about a lawyer well-being, it's siloed from what the legal profession, what their role is in the legal profession. And yeah, can, you, is, can you expand on the concept of, of um, well-being being siloed? Because you and I talked a little bit in our preparatory meeting about, you know, well-being sometimes talked about in the in, in, in the confines of how you, how you behave at work and then you know, sort of the broad, broader context of how you function as an actual whole person, not defined by work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's multi-layered there. In the simplest form, and I will dig deeper, it's the idea that, well, you know, as long as you're doing X, Y, Z, like doing your exercise, sleeping well, eating well, which are all things outside of work, well, then you'll be fine and then your and your work won't suffer. That's the like the classic look at it. But right. in reality, you don't just change who you are, your problems, your concerns, your um, automatic beliefs and think thoughts that travel with you wherever you go. Don't just disappear once you go into the office just because you have a good healthy routine outside the office. So well-being really actually starts from within and it cannot be siloed between personal and professional life. It's about being aware of how you're reacting to things, the role that perhaps some of your feelings, uh, assumptions and habits are playing in the choices that you make at work. And then how those can transfer over into your personal life and vice versa. You have to take care of yourself in the office in order to really thrive out of the office and, and do the same, but they're often so, not seen as an intersection. Yeah, so we've always, we hear and, and, and I kind of um, have my own sort of bias against this sort of rote talk about do all these things outside the office. And I agree, like exercise, meditation, yoga, whatever it is, and I practice many of those things myself. But what I personally find is it doesn't necessarily make me any less, um, agitated when I'm at my desk. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the fact that, you know, um, there's a doing those external things doesn't necessarily change all the internal dynamics. Can you give a can you give some examples of how you approach changing what happens when you're in the office? Because I think that is a concept that's underexplored and probably less tangible to our listeners. Most definitely less tangible. It's uh, harder to, to speak in general, but it's ironically part of the most important uh, element. So we come to the table or our desk with all sorts of preconceived notions. We would call them core beliefs or eliminating beliefs, 
uh, there's a variety of names for them, but essentially they're assumptions about how the world works and who we are within the world and what we're capable of doing. And this is a natural thing that happens for everybody. It's not just lawyers. It's part of our you know, evolution as well. A lot of the, this, these kinds of assumptions are not unlike what our caveman ancestors carried around with them as well. It's just now taking place in a very different context and not really serving its original purpose. Then the more aware we are of perhaps some of the things that we bring to, to the table inherently, the more equipped we are to perhaps explore alternative ways of coping or doing things. So for example, a lot of lawyers struggle with procrastination. Procrastination is an example of an anxiety coping mechanism. And it's often rooted in a lot of thinking, what we would call thinking errors in cognitive behavioral therapy or limiting beliefs in other areas. And because we're assuming certain things about that task we're procrastinating or about the consequences of the task that we're procrastinating on. So it's logistically, we have the ability and the skills to do it, but it's a cognitive and emotional challenge. So the more in tune we are with our, what we bring to the table cognitively and emotionally, the more equipped we are to overcome those more obvious hurdles like the procrastination, like the fear of speaking up, like the delaying replying to emails or not checking voicemail that happens sometimes. Because that's, it's really- um, That's a great example. I still remember as a young lawyer procrastinating because I was fearful of the reaction of a particular lawyer or two lawyers and mm -hmm. um, fearful that they were gonna find the one typo or in my case, more than one, but anyway, um, or or that um, I was going to assert a position and it was going to be knocked down, and it ended up, you know, early in my career before I, I sort of found my own voice. That ended up being why I wasn't as on top of things as possible it was that fear of letting go of it for the perceived I was catastrophizing about the mm -hmm. consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm willing to bet most lawyers find themselves in some version of that or not, even without having an anxiety, a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. It's something that's inherent in our human brains. And sometimes it can be used for helpful things, but oftentimes because of our world now is so different than it, what it was for millennia ago, um, it's not so helpful. So the awareness is power. And actually for your listeners, um, I do have a, a link that you can include later in your, in your write-up for a, a quiz that I've put together based on cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy and these thinking errors that we're talking about that they can go through for themselves, no strings attached, to figure out perhaps what are some of the top thinking errors that they engage in so that they can start raising more awareness for themselves just right off the bat. And there's some tips for people to uh, start getting their gears turning and hit the ground running. Just if you're curious. That's going to be, I think, a really nice resource. And, and, and we'll include it when we release the podcast in the link in, in, in write-up. Um, you mentioned procrastination. Um, can you give a couple other examples um, of things you come across? And then after you do that, I, I, not all of our listeners are, um, have had as much experience with the therapeutic world as you as a therapist and me as a, a therapy. Um, can you explain a little bit of, uh, about cognitive behavioral therapy? Because it is a, it is a, a different approach to, to, to problem solving 
I found it very valuable in the past, but I, I want to make sure our listeners actually understand that, especially if they're going to take the quiz. Absolutely. So to answer your first question, other examples beyond procrastination uh, could be not, something not unlike what you described of not speaking up in a meeting because you didn't feel you assumed you would be shot down. So you made an assumption and stayed quiet based on that assumption. You chose the behavior to stay quiet um, instead of share your insight. And the consequences of perhaps sharing your insight would be, well, it might not help the case that you're working on. You might, it would have been helpful potentially to the case that you were working on. And then it's just reinforcing your own, what I'm suspecting were your own doubts about your own capabilities. So you didn't give yourself an opportunity to see that your capabilities were useful in that sense. And well, in a nutshell with this example, what your assumptions kept you from taking helpful action. Now there's no guarantee that it would have been like the best thing ever said. And we all need to filter what we say, but given the fact that you are an educated member of the team, it's arguable that it would not have been off the wall. But a lot of us censor ourselves in that way because that's, we're we fear. The censorship driven by fear, I think, is a really important concept because I suspect it happens more often than we'd like to admit. And you probably see it quite often in your practice. For you give some context about cognitive behavioral therapy, I want to ask a follow-up question, which is, um, did, P, did some of your patients come to you really having sort of the opposite problem, which is they're trying so hard to please mm -hmm. that whether or not their mentor or their boss or their supervisor is demonstrating good behavior, they're trying to please and they end up speaking in a voice other than their own. And they end mm -hmm. up you know, losing a sense of who they are. Absolutely. That's a classic high achiever problem that I face with a lot of the clients. And it's often combined with, with other elements. Um, this is the, uh, what somebody once used as a joke is like, how did my parents get into my office space? Like for a lot of people, we would try, we would call this the transference. They take the, the learned behaviors they had for uh, coping with other people in their personal lives, usually from their upbringing, and they bring it into the office with them. To not, not on purpose, not maliciously, it's just something that naturally happens. And our supervisors, our mentors, sometimes even our peers don't realize that they fall into like certain psychological buckets for other people. And uh, that often results in a lot of people pleasing and fearing um, communication depend and fearing and catastrophizing consequences, depending on what kind of upbringing you had. So yeah, the people pleasing ends up being, taking the focus from what the lawyer herself is interested in pursuing, um, from what the lawyer herself can rely on as, as her own good judgment and then places all of that on someone else, like the boss or the mentor or their peer. And as a result of that, she, the lawyer herself starts losing trust in her abilities as a whole. And that's no good for your career and certainly no good for the, your work product. Um, so she, then because that's such a big deal for lawyers, we run the risk of her own, even her own emotional regulation 
than being outsourced to whatever this person thinks or feels, uh, which is can be very, very stressful. So essentially what you described is a relationship where one person now looks to another or to a set of others to tell them their worth and how they should feel about things subconsciously. And, and the interesting thing about that, when I've unfortunately in past been caught in that void and I've seen others caught in that void is the actually has the opposite effect is that you don't earn the respect from those um, persons of authority when you try to when you when you have that transference take place you win mm -hmm. their respect by establishing your own identity the harder we try to please them the less respect they have. It's almost as if it's like you could see like the, the respect go up or down based on um, the independent thinking of, 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 some, of, of someone who's trying to please. Yeah, because the leadership wants to see that you can rely on your own good judgment and execute decisions properly. If you're just constantly trying to please, they can't trust your opinion and they can't trust that you can do the job well, even if you could because you're not communicating that you know you could. Yeah, and I really think, especially for younger lawyers, that is a really important point for them to recognize is that one of the hallmarks of matriculation is, is that as you matriculate, you demonstrate the ability to exercise judgment. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that actually goes back to our conversation about well-being. Um, that internal well-being work that needs to be done both in and out of the office. That's not, you know, the exercise, eat well, sleep well thing. It's about coming to terms with who you really are and getting clear on what you want. And then not just being a reactionary lawyer robot to whatever's going, whatever's happening. You have to make an intentional effort to come into your own. Uh, because if I've seen it happen where, you know, the, the high achieving lawyer goes into a competitive workplace. And like you said, there's often a lot of people pleasing going on. Like, yes, of course, I'll take that assignment at 11 p.m. or whatever it happens to be. And uh, they get lost in just being a reactionary. And not, they forget about the opportunity to actually contribute and build a career and relationships within that career according to what matters to them. So clarity about what you want from your career is actually also really important in young lawyers. How you get that? Well, that's that's where coaching and therapy can come in. Uh, I getting clear. Fascinating. I think that's fascinating about you know, your, your comment about taking that assignment at 11 p.m. because and, and, and the reactionary nature of that, which is when you view yourself as a receptacle, as opposed to an actor, yeah, you lose control because the truth is, is that when people dump more and more work on you, you perform more and more and more or less effectively. Mm -hmm. So there is really no benefit to being in a pure reactionary mode in that pleasing mode, because ultimately you won't deliver what they expect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, there's clear diminishing returns for most lawyers, for any high achiever, frankly, at that point.
but it's an easy pattern to fall into. Very, very yeah. easy pattern to fall into. It is, especially when you know you're one of a class of associates of a particular year and you know that not all of you are going to make partner or um, necessarily qualify for the highest level of bonus. I think competition, which can be healthy, also can be debilitating if, mm -hmm. if your method of competing isn't on the quality of what you do, but but in the effort to be that person that pleases everyone. Yep, absolutely. And I always tell young lawyers that I mentor that the best way to find success and determine whether you're in the right environment is to make sure you find your own voice. That mm -hmm. when you speak, you're speaking in a way that really is authentic to you. And, and I, I think that's where therapy and coaching can be so valuable is especially early in your career and even later in your career, finding your own voice and who you are and your identity are, are, are quantum issues that without help are hard to do on your own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One gets lost in like the churning, churning out the work, making the expectations and we're not taught to look inward in order to perform form in a more aligned way outward. So we wake up and all of a sudden we're not in a career that we thought we were once passionate about. That, that is such a good point. And, and that kind of, you know, leads to burnout. But before we talk about burnout, I'll finish my compound question, which was, which was, which was a while back. Can you give our listeners an understanding of what cognitive behavioral therapy is and how you deploy it to help lawyers um, address some of the issues you've raised? Absolutely. So cognitive behavioral therapy is anchored in the idea that thoughts are not facts. I'll repeat that. Thoughts are not facts. And for some people, you know, on the surface, logically, it's like, yeah, obviously, but for others, it's once they start like chewing on it a little bit, they realize there is, there is something different about that than how most of us go about our day. And so taking the assumption that thoughts are not facts, cognitive behavioral therapy then draws a lot of its work from what's called the cognitive triad. So that's the intersection of behaviors, cognitions, also known as thoughts, and feelings. And the assumption here is that they are all influencing each other. So thoughts influence both feelings and behaviors. Behaviors influence both feelings and thoughts and feelings influence both thoughts and behaviors. So we're not out to just change how you feel. Uh, your feelings are valid. So we don't start there. Uh, but we do know that if thoughts are not facts, then thoughts can be evolved. They can, we can explore alternating, alternate thoughts. And we obviously know that we can change behavior. There's plenty of science out there for that. So oftentimes when I start working with lawyers, either in a coaching or psychotherapy uh, situation, because CBT often is used by in, in a lot of different coaching approaches, we, First, start with behaviors, because for high achievers, that tends to be the 
easiest, most logical way to like, okay, I feel like I'm doing something for change. So we take a look at the behaviors that they're engaging in, the external behaviors, see if we can tweak things here and there. There's certain productivity strategies, there's certain focus strategies, things like that. So we first go in there that way, because that's the easy entry. And then we, we get into the cognitions. So I oftentimes use a, a list of what's often called thinking errors. And there's 10 or so that are most common lawyer thinking errors, which can, you know, you can quiz yourself on in that quiz we talked about that there'll be a link for. Uh, and I, I, asked, I asked clients to take a look, read it over and see if they, uh, they recognize any of those in themselves. And for most people, they recognize almost all of them. And then we start taking a look at what kind of situations these kinds of thoughts tend to come up for them. And what behaviors tend to go along with those situations that these thoughts are involved in. And then, you know, this is a process, as you can imagine, it doesn't happen in like just five minutes. The goal here is to train one's brain to be aware of when a thinking error might be at play. Because since we thought, thoughts are not facts, we know that thinking error might not be a legitimate fact-based helpful way of interpreting a situation or viewing yourself. And then, this is my lawyer's favorite part, you look at the evidence that's actually in front of you. Because yeah. a lot of those thinking errors, they're based on experiences you've had in the past on emotional pain points. And you don't even realize they're coming to the table when you're trying to decide how to execute a piece of your work product. I think that's, um, I think that's fascinating. And so um, maybe we can try something a little interactive, which is suppose I get a call from my boss who wants a report overnight. And so my first thought is, I'm not talented enough to do a report overnight. It's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. For, in terms of um, where it would fall in the categories, to me, that would be some, an example of maybe catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes they overlap. I'd say you could also argue that mental filter comes in there because you've probably turned around difficult um, assignments in less time than what it would this one is requiring of you. But of course you forget about that and you focus in on the negative. So you're right. filtering out any of the positive evidence instead of really considering it as well. So in terms of how I would use a cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. modality to reframe that, mm -hmm. what, would, what we, would we do? What would we do? Okay. So I don't think I could, it's going to be terrible if I do this. Well, there, what, let's say that could be mental filter, that could be catastrophizing. Well, then if we know that this thought is not necessarily fact, what evidence is there to support a potential alternative version of the facts? Well, have you done other assignments that you've turned around in less time? I'm asking in this hypothetical you. Yeah, and I would say yes. Okay. Um, do you have any examples of assignments that you just made a disa total disaster out of in the past? Yes. <laughs> okay, are they, what, are they a lot of them compared to the ones you actually did decent work on? 
No, they happened a long time ago. Okay. So probably not happening again. Do you, what kind of resources do you have? Like, do you have the resources you need to, even if you don't want to do this project, but to execute the project? Yes, I have access to all the research and I actually know about the topic. Okay. Okay. So you, that was going to be my next thing. You actually know about the topic already. So you're not starting from nowhere. All right. Do you have some sort of emergency going on in your life where you need to be attending to that instead of being able to knock out this project? Not currently. Okay. All right. So you're in good enough health to do it. You just yes. don't want to. Okay. All right. So given what you know right now with the evidence you just lined up for me, is it reasonable to conclude that it's going to be a catastrophe? No. Okay, so it's still, you can still feel scared that it's gonna be a catastrophe, right? right? You fear is still a feeling I that's there. I have some anxiety, but the truth yes. is it's not likely to be a catastrophe because I know the topic, I have the resources, and I don't have something that's gonna pull my time away from my ability to do it. Exactly, so the anxiety, that's a natural reaction that you're having, but then, then we wanna pull logic into the experience. Because if we just relied on that anxiety, you may go into full avoidance mode and just stare at the screen like, a, some, like somewhat paralyzed or just go do something else entirely and push off the consequences of not, not responding to this assignment. But you actually could do it and maybe not, it wouldn't be that disturbing. If you can feel the feeling and behave as if the alternative thought is true instead of your initial automatic thought based on the feeling. That was, I think, a really hopefully illustrative example about how you can reframe things. Thank uh, you so much, Mark. This is a lot of fun. I'm uh, so glad that you're doing this. This has been um, the most recent episode of Erasing the Stigma, Conversations About Mental Health in the Legal Profession. Our guest today, Chelsea Castro, is obviously, if you've listened to the, the whole thing, a very, very deep thinking, uh, empathetic and capable psychotherapist who understands acutely what lawyers go through. And um, you'll be able to find this podcast on anywhere that you get your podcasts. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.